So we're continuing in our, our series on James today, Faith, uh, faith in Action. And, and I suppose this, this passage we've got for you today, it, it's got a real challenge in it. Is that okay? You guys are good, good Carla. Is everyone else okay for a bit of a challenge? Yeah? Good. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through it kind of verse by verse because I just feel like that would help us understand the context a bit better. But Phil was speaking last week on, on peace and, and receiving God's peace amidst of the turbulence of the world around us, but also to understand our calling in the kingdom as, as peacemakers. You know, we're, we're children in the family business of heaven, and that is to be peacemakers. Um, um, so, in chapter 3, we saw earlier, we saw James, James is comparing how the world is to how um, the churches. He keeps comparing it a number of times. How this is how the world is, this is how the churches. And he does that to, to draw a distinction between the two. And he does it because he wants to show us how we as a church are not meant to look like the world around us. And so this challenge that comes this morning, and I really want, I, I really want to pray that this morning we receive this challenge and the conviction that comes with it, but not a hint of condemnation. Does that sound good? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your incredible word. Lord, I thank you for the richness, the depth, and the breadth of your wisdom, God. I thank you for the amazing passages which inspire us and challenge us and convict us. And I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts to hear your word, to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word, people who respond to your word, Lord. I pray that that comes with such a healthy conviction in our hearts, that comes from a, from a position of knowing that we are your children and we are loved because we are your children. I thank you, Jesus, you died in our place, that every bit of sin and unrighteousness was heaped upon you, and we inherited your righteousness and the peace that comes with God through that. And I really pray as we study your word together, we would study it as children of a loving Heavenly Father, excited to know how to engage and interact and play in the kingdom he has made for us. Amen. All right, so let's go to verse 1, James chapter 4, verse 1. You can follow me in the Pew Bible. I don't know what page it is, but you can follow me if you'd like to in that. Oh, I didn't have a joke this morning. Really sorry. I know you're really missing my jokes. Okay, verse 1. So James is writing. He's writing to the church. We need to remember that. But I think this part is starting with a more generalized idea of humanity in general. He says this, What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So James starts this whole thing by showing us the, kind of the basic root cause of dysfunction within humanity as a whole. He kind of tackles quite a big subject there. He says that this division in society stems from the deepest desire of man, which is that without God, something is missing. Something is missing. We're not quite there. And this kind of, kind of this deep-rooted question in humanity 
manifests itself in different areas of everyone's lives. It's, it's, uh, we find we kind of the world encourages us that through our jobs and through hobbies, through relationships, through the latest Apple Watch, we can find that sense of fulfillment and meaning in life that we've been looking for. Apologies if you have the latest Apple Watch. I'm sure you have found that level of fulfillment. But, but society encourages us that actually these things are going to fill the hole inside of you. But James points out that actually they can't and they don't. And, and mankind is at war not only with each other, but actually within itself. There's passions inside of us, raging inside of us, warring inside of us to get something. And it, and it manifests in different places. It's like in the workplace. You know, I, I thought this promotion would be everything it was meant to be, and suddenly I would feel really happy about my career. But I'm in the same place, and I'm not sure if this is a job for me. Or I thought this relationship would, would have it for me. You know, I'd feel safe, and I'd feel secure, and everything I need and everything I desire in life is there. But it doesn't quite tick all the boxes, and maybe there's another relationship over here I should look at. Does that make sense? These are things rooted in humanity that come from the simplest thing of, I am not fulfilled. Therefore, I want. And I've just got to get it. And I've just got to get it somehow. And what can I get away with to get the thing that I want in life? I want to pose to you that one of the biggest tragedies going on in our world at the moment is because one man wants something that he can't have peacefully. You see, humanity desires and covets something which is forever unobtainable without Christ. And we will look to every other place to fulfill us. And this emptiness causes the passions of humanity to run wild inside of us. It causes the frustration. I was thinking about this to myself. Do you know the easiest and safest place for me to argue uh, is with my wife? I don't know if any husbands and wives have experienced that because I know she'll love me at the end of the argument. <laughs> Not that I pursue arguments with my wife. That's a bad idea. But, um, but one of the biggest interesting things i found is that 99% of the time when I argue with her, it's not because I'm dissatisfied in her. It's because I'm dissatisfied in me. It's because of my lack. And we find that, guys, where we have lack, where we have dissatisfaction in ourselves, we find we start to take it out on the people around us. What is the cause of quarrels and strife within you? Is it not that your passions are at war, you desire and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel? So James uh, makes it clear for the Christians and those yet to be saved alike, the reason for this is our ungodly passions at war within us. And he says this at the end, you ask, uh, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. If we go to verse three, he says this, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Do you know there is a wrong and ineffective way to pray? Instead of going to God and humbling ourselves and saying, actually, I was speaking about this the other week, wasn't I? This this root of we as church, we can come to church without needing to consume if we come knowing that he is our provider. I was speaking about how hopefully someone remembers but, but there's this thing of actually God is the one who fulfills us and therefore we can come to church ready to love and give instead of needing to come and consume. But this is the same in this place. You know, 
if we go to God in prayer humbly and say, God, I know and I believe and even if I don't feel it, I can read it, that you have everything I need for life. Everything I need for life. Everything I need to be happy in this relationship and happy in this job and happy in, in, kind of in life. Everything I need. If we truly go to God and pray and believe that, then, then we find the very thing that we're praying for. This fulfillment. But if we go to God and say, God, I feel so unfulfilled. I really need that job. Or I really need this break or this relationship or whatever. Suddenly our prayers become all about the thing that we think is going to fulfill our happiness instead of the one who actually can fulfill our happiness. Does that make sense? Who's ever prayed to win the, mono- the Monopoly? I prayed to win Monopoly, but I actually meant the lottery. <laughs> And is it just me? Seriously? No one knows? Okay, come on. Honest people, I love it. <laughs> I didn't. Um, uh, but it's, it's one of those prayers, you know, I want the, what I think is the end, but actually God has different means to different ends. If our concern is the fulfillment of his kingdom, we will need none concern for our own. Does that make sense? Like if our concern is for the fulfillment of his kingdom, we actually don't need any concern for our own. The Bible puts it this way. Uh, In Matthew 6, it says, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Everything else gets added to you, actually, when you are putting God's business first in your life. Does that sound good? Everyone else? Like if we really focus on him and his kingdom first, everything in us gets fulfilled as a byproduct of that. So if we pray out of the passions of our flesh, we, we elicit God, we elicit, elicit the, the, the divine for our own pleasure. As if we pray and God would re-enslave us to the things of the world that his son has already brought us freedom from. Does that make sense? It's like going back to slavery. It makes no sense. It's like we're the Israelites in the desert saying, oh, we used to have food in Egypt. We should go back. This is what this verse is saying. And James kind of lays a smack down at the beginning of verse 4. And I don't want to make light of it because he, he turns to them and says, you adulterous people. It's like when Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. It's this, this level of bluntness which obviously runs in the family. You adulterous people. And I know this morning, I know who I'm speaking to. I know this isn't a a house of compromise. And yet I know the faithfulness of my own heart can wane. And my encouragement this morning is to humbly receive the challenges in these verses. We have been called into a relationship with our Heavenly Father, a relationship which promises fulfillment. John 10.10, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. He thinks that verse sounds really good, yeah? Okay. Yet if we look to the world around us, if we desire and covet the pleasures of our culture, so much so that our very prayers become fixated upon what we think is going to satisfy us, then we might as well say to God, hey God, your your love's not really enough. Please give me the job. And I'm not saying you cannot pray for those things, but if we're praying for them to fix this inside of us, then friends, you're going to go from one to the other, brokenness to brokenness. 
He alone can satisfy what is inside of you. Why don't you just take a second, just close your eyes. If it's the first time or, or the thousandth time that you have remembered this truth, God, you alone can satisfy me. Why don't you just say that to him? God, you alone can satisfy me. James goes on in this passage being um, typically unabashed. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I heard Francis Chan talking on this, and he said, it's not that you turn to God and say, God, you're my enemy. It's that God looks to you and says, you are my enemy. This is what that passage says, and it's powerful. It's challenging. A while ago, I preached on uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel, um, I'm not going to ask you if you remember it, but I did. <laughs> and Elijah says this verse, which really stuck in my mind. He says, how long... So this, he, sorry, he gathered all the Israelites to Mount Carmel. He's got the, the false prophets of Baal, and he's there. And he says, how long will you go limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. He calls out the whole of Israel and says, which one are you going to choose? Because you can't limp from one to the other. And when I read those verses, I recognized something in my own life where I, was, I kind of limp, depending on where I was feeling and what I needed. I know my heart can wonder, and I know that it can limp between God and the world looking for comfort. And, and if I did that in my marriage to Jen, it would not last long at all. Faithfulness. Commitment, covenant, this is what God calls us to. And if we consistently ask God to give us own to our passion, over to our passions, to, to betroth us to another instead of to his son, to betroth us to the world instead of to his son, what an insult that is to God. And that is why James writes, you make yourself an enemy of God. This is not a church of compromise. And we are not a people of adultery. We are a people of holiness and of fire. Why don't you tell that to your neighbor? This is a church of holiness and fire. And my encouragement to you, friends, if you ever have any weak moments, like myself, I put my hand up nice and high so you know. My encouragement to you is tell your flesh that. Tim, you are a man of holiness and fire. Sometimes you just got to remind yourself who brought you and what a price they paid for that, okay? I think this, the language in this is strong for a reason. And James has really want to kind of give us a bit of a wake-up call. And I hope that he's done that this morning. You cannot serve God and the world. I'm always struck by... Jesus' words in Matthew 6, he said, you can't serve two masters. Either you end up loving the one and hating the other, or, or devoted to the one and you despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And in our instance, you cannot serve God and the world. And, and if you're not sure where you're sitting at here, there's some questions which will really help you. Where do you turn first when you have a bad day? Is it to God? Maybe through his word, maybe through worship, maybe soaking, maybe prayer. Or do you turn to a comfort you can get, whether that's alcohol or food or entertainment? Another question, where do you have anxiety, fear, 
where are your priorities? How do you prioritize your time? How do you prioritize your money? How do you prioritize your affections? All these questions will help you understand where am I turning? Where am I looking? Romans 7 says this, and I love it because this is Paul writing Romans 7. I believe it's Paul writing it. And uh, he says this, and he just, Paul is like a real awesome guy of faith, and we were like, yeah, Paul, he writes these most amazing stuff. And then he writes this sentence, and I'm like, oh, phew. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Who's ever kind of felt that, yeah? And you're like, phew, Paul wrote it. Okay? It's important that we recognize this because the, the passage starts to twist here. Verse 5, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us? And I say it with so much excitement because I'm so very happy for it. Because what this clearly says is God's desire for you is greater than your desire for the world. He yearns jealously over over you. He longs for you. He desires you. Our God is a jealous God. This is what the Bible says, Exodus 34. He's jealous for your time, jealous for your affection, jealous for your hearts, so much so. He is so jealous for you that he sent his only son to die in your place. All sin and brokenness heaped upon him so that there was no barrier between you and God because he's jealous for And I think we can often get into this place where we recognize the brokenness inside us and we recognize those desires inside us that are chasing after the things of the world and sometimes we just get to this place where Paul is and we're like, oh, can I not do anything right? Am I completely broken? And in these places, it's so important for us to remember he yearns for us. He's jealous for us. He desires us. And friends, he won the battle. He won the battle. There's no big tug of war in the cosmos. God on one side, Satan on the other, you in the middle. Satan's already lost. God yearns for you and he's victorious in his yearning. Is anyone happy about that? I'm very happy about that. And this means because of the work of Christ, we are free from bondage to sin. That means we're no longer tied to it. That means we have a choice. We have the freedom through the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to sin and no to the world and give me Jesus. That song we just sang, you are my one thing. This is the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us because of the work of Christ that freed us from sin. Why don't you tell your neighbor, I'm free from bondage to sin. A couple of chuckles in there. He has given his spirit to us to partner us. That even in our moments of weakness, he empowers us to love God. So James counters all of this stuff we've read before, all the brokenness, all the, all the rubbish of humanity. James counters it in this next five words at the beginning of verse 6. It says this, but he gives more grace. Why don't you tell your friend that as well? But he gives more grace. You're going to know the person next to you. Give them a smile while you do it. This is good news. 
James makes it clear. Maybe you have been chasing after wealth. Maybe you're here this morning and you recognize yourself in this. And if so, you're like me. And I couldn't write this preach before I spent time praying and repenting in my own heart of where I've been limping. But he gives more grace. Guys, this is the good news of Christ. Maybe you spent your life pursuing these things and you missed, missed the point. But God says this, in this moment, if you humble yourself, then you receive his grace. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that grace is the empowering of his spirit, the forgiveness of sins and the empowering of his spirit. So friends, if, if something of what I've shared so far today hasn't convicted you, then, then I'd really encourage you and challenge you to, to take it to the Lord and say, God, is there any place of compromise in my life? Because we want to be humble enough to receive his conviction. I was praying about this and conviction and condemnation. Because when we're doing this series, and a lot of this series is about putting our faith into action, there's always a place for the enemy to creep in and say, hey, you're not a very good Christian, are you? Has anyone ever heard that from, yeah? Okay. There's always a place for him to creep in. And the difference between conviction and condemnation is that condemnation seats itself in pride. Because condemnation says, what I did is enough to redefine the identity Christ has given me. What I did can redefine who I am. That's what condemnation says. And in doing so, we sit in a place of pride that our sin is somehow big enough to rewrite the master plan of God. And I don't know about you, but that's just not possible. God is bigger. And that's why we have conviction from the Holy Spirit that says, hey, you may have done that, but I know who you are because I made you. And I'm rewriting your story. James gives us five points then. How do we be like this? And it's important because when you read these verses, they, they can seem a little glum is my best way of putting it. And I want to encourage you that, um, if you head to the next slide for me, I want to encourage you, this isn't how we are meant to look 24-7. This is him giving a picture of what repentance looks like. He says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And in that, he's saying, recommit everything you have to him for his glory, for, for his purposes. Recommit your dreams. Recommit your career. Recommit your finances. Recommit your health. Recommit your relationships. Recommit your children to God. Who's ever felt the deep peace of knowing you're exactly where you are, doing exactly what you're meant to be doing? Who's ever felt a peace like that in their lives, yeah? It's powerful. This is the inheritance of his children, having that peace as we submit ourselves to God and his plans. Next he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We had this conversation at uni. You don't need to shout at the devil, but if you want to and you find that helps, then please do. You don't need to, but if you want to, please do. Paul says this. He he says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts in you. And if you need a block on your phone to to stop you, I have a block on Facebook on my phone because it wastes my time. Apologies if you've sent me a comment on Facebook because I rarely get to them. But it just wastes my time. And I'm not saying Facebook in general for everyone, but for me, it just distracts me from stuff important in my life, like my children, who are right in front of me. So that's why I have that blog. You know, if you need to leave some friendships, do it. If you, need to, if you need to give money to charity, then do it. Whatever you need to do, block it, sell it, get rid of it. Whatever you need to do to resist the devil, do it. You don't have to fight him. 
You just don't have to let him in your life. Does that make sense? He's not saying fight the devil. He's just saying don't open doors in your life for him. Resist him. And again, I, I regularly find myself giving things up, not because they're bad things, but just because I get too into them. Has anyone ever had that kind of thing? Yeah? The freedom you get by deleting the app or by putting down the phone or whatever it is or by not eating this or what the freedom you find in those places is so life-giving isn't it that moment when you're like ah i'm free it's so powerful and i really want to encourage you again like there's joy to be found in this process of of submitting to god verse 8 he says draw near to god and he will draw near to you jeremiah 29 says you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart which is really important. He doesn't say you'll seek me and find me when you look with your heart. He says with your whole heart. There's an element of, of what we really want. We have to ask for wholeheartedly. I think these next lines are James talking about how you are wholehearted. He says this. Um, Psalm 24. It says if you want to ascend the hill of the Lord, you need clean hands and a pure heart. And James clarifies this. He says cleanse your hands you sinners. And so those two are kind of linked together. Cleanse your hands from sin. And there's a reason that the the daily prayer the Lord taught us says, forgive us our sins. You know, we know Christ has forgiven us once and for all, but he calls us into a daily place of repentance because it humbles us. And God gives grace to the humble. Repent. Cleanse your hands. Secondly, he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. I was trying to think about this practically. If you want to consistently, because this is it. This, like everything I dream of in my life and faith and everything, I'm like, God, I want to give you everything. And I prayed up prayer quite a lot. And then sometimes I'm like, how do I do this? It's the little choices. It's the really little choices. It's the really little steps. If you get this one right and this one right and this one right, it's these simple acts of obedience that cause these wondrous expressions of sacrifice. That's, it's the little things. And, and I was thinking about this. How do we purify our hearts from double-mindedness? It's, it's making the little choices. And sometimes, to make it easier to make the right choice, you just need to get rid of some options. Does that make sense? Just give yourself less options. It's easier that way. So this is it. This is James's plan for how we submit in humility to God. We submit... We resist the devil, we pursue, we repent, and we choose him. James finishes this in verse 9, which is the next slide, I think. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Again, this isn't him saying you should look like this all the time, 24-7. This is him saying this is what humility and repentance looks like. And it's important that we have a space for mourning in our lives because It's in the morning that God brings joy, right? I remember getting suspended from school once for for being violent towards another student. And um, I remember the pain of coming to terms with that in in my heart. I remember the anger at myself that I could behave in such a way. I remember the the pain I caused to the other child. I remember the, the tears in my mum's eye. I remember sitting on the garden bench speaking to my dad about it. I remember it so deeply because it changed my life. Because it caused such a great conviction in me. 
And that led me to a real repentance and a changing in who I was and the behaviors I allowed in my life. And, and this is what James is saying. Friends, it's good to allow yourself to come to this place of, of understanding the brokenness within you because only when we're broken do we recognize we need a healer, right? You know, we're forever avoiding the doctor, but only when we realize, oh, I really need to go and see the doctor, or do we go and actually get the healing we need. Welcome these places in your lives. Be wretched. What a, what a phrase. But welcome those places, friends, because we all need healing. And he's so quick to give it to us and willing to meet us in those places. I'm going to invite Becca and band up. Paul says this in Romans 7. You remember Romans 7 where he says, I do the thing I don't want to do and I keep messing up when I shouldn't be messing up. That, that part in Romans 7. He says this a couple of verses later. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And a lot of people stop reading at that end of that verse. But he goes on to say, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is a place I want to land with us today. It's a place of of recognizing actually there's brokenness in us, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord because he alone has the power to cleanse us and heal us. And in his power, we can live lives of, of joy and righteousness in the kingdom of God. Why don't you stand with me? I want to pray. If, if you can start. I suppose I've got two, two things I'd like to pray for today. Firstly, I, I, I believe that there's a level of conviction that God's brought this morning. Even reading that, we've got to be convicted to some degree. And I'd encourage you just to close your eyes now and and just search your heart. Just say, God, come and search my heart. God, am I compromised? Am I limping? Am am my passions at war within me, chasing after things of the world? When I know that only in you is is life abundant. And I just want to encourage you to, to just repent. Just say sorry. And you may be sitting there thinking, but how on earth can I extricate myself from these patterns or this behavior or, or these desires? Or maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, I'm not sure I really want to give up these desires. And, and I want to encourage you, just say that to God. Let him hear it. Because maybe you need to realize how incredibly powerful and victorious life in the Spirit is. And maybe you just need a glimpse of that in order to really recognize he is better. Or maybe it's that you, you feel you can't do it and, and, and maybe you just need to know the power of Holy Spirit at work in your life, freeing you, enabling you to, to get rid of that stuff. And there's other people today who, when I've been going through this, you've just been sitting there saying, oh, I feel like the wretched man. I feel this brokenness. This, this deep sense of, of something missing and something unfulfilled and, and, and I want to encourage you invite Holy Spirit in say just confess with your lips Holy Spirit Father, Son I know you are enough for me 
I know you fulfill every desire of my heart. Come and fill me. Come and fill us, Holy Spirit. Come and fill us, Holy Spirit. Come fill us, Holy Spirit, that we would make the right choices for you. Those little choices every day that bring so much glory to you. God, that our our, our sold-out lives would just be simple obedience every day. Holy Spirit, as you lead us, pray that you would help us see even one small choice we can make today to choose you and your comfort and your love and your grace and your dreams and your kingdom over the things of this world.